Welcome back to another episode of the Tricky Takes Podcast. I am your host, Austin, joined with my usual co-host, Connor. How you doing? And returning guest, Peyton Davila. Hey guys, thank you guys for having me. Glad to fill in for Billy this week. Yeah, glad to have you back. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, just right off the bat, um, sadly, Parker could not join us tonight. Y'all, if you listen for a while, you, you'll heard parker a few times too but uh peyton and parker uh brothers uh and uh they've just recently started a podcast together so i wanted to go ahead and and uh shout that out peyton you want to drop a little info on that sure if you're gonna give me a minute to plug uh i am only one p unfortunately there's not two p's here today uh but the podcast is called two p's on a pod uh it's general sports podcasts uh very similar format to tricky takes obviously different personalities with me and my brother uh but if you want to go give us a follow you can feel free to at uh at t-w-o-p-s-h-o-w on instagram and twitter and also on facebook you can find us as well uh we're gonna be dropping once a week and you can find us on spotify and apple podcasts sweet definitely go check them out now i will note that they are going to both be biased towards the cowboys so just take anything they say about them with a grain of salt. No, no, no. Peyton, Peyton's I'm with me, baby. Huge. I forget that he's a Vikings fan out there. Right. And we're and me and Freed are both realists, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think Dude, being a Vikings fan just does that to you. It does. It's, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's same, with being, same with being a Browns fan. Me and Freed recently uh, had a conversation about um, – secret base did a youtube series on the vikings and how torturous the yep. history of the team is and if anybody wants a history lesson go watch it on youtube yeah it's part three is coming out part three might just be coming out today actually i think so yeah so uh yeah i'm i've loved the first two episodes they always do such a good job i love john boyce yeah he's yeah, I've, I've watched his stuff for a while now on both um secret base and whenever it was just uh, i forget what it was called before but sb yeah. nation before yeah, yeah they do some great stuff over there but they really do um so this is going to be a strictly football episode of the tricky takes which i know some people like some people don't but uh there's a lot of stuff going on in the football world and peyton's a a, a real um fun guy to talk football with i've always i always enjoy uh, hearing his opinions uh, probably because they not always but sometimes more more so than not align with um, my way of thinking especially when it comes to fantasy football and we're going to be doing our hills to die on for the fantasy world uh, that'll be like the last segment of the show uh, to start off we're going to talk about just kind of what's uh what's been going on in the, the world of the NFL with the latest news. Uh, we had two major running backs sign the two biggest free agents at the running back position, Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin cook, both just signed with teams uh, Zeke going to the Patriots and Dalvin cook going to the jets. So the AFC East uh, landing two big running backs. And I think these are, I mean, say what you will about both of these guys and their, advanced age if you want to call it that but uh they're still two uh nfl running backs one of them i think a starting caliber caliber nfl running back and the other one a very quality backup if not low-end starter 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to love the signing from a team perspective for both of these guys. Uh, Dalvin really only has Brees ahead of him, who has the injury concern from last year. Probably won't be back at 100% to start the season, so he'll at least get some meaningful touches then. I mean, he can easily work into a 1A, 1B type situation, depending on what they're looking for. I can see him getting a lot of use inside of the, you know, 20 yards, uh, just being that kind of more bruising running back while Brees is a more explosive guy. And as a Pats perspective, I've never been huge on Ramondre. So I kind of like the fact that they're bringing in that, you know, experienced guy in Zeke who's been in a winning situation, who can, you know, find the end zone, who can get in there and, you know, make it happen. I mean, he still does have the explosiveness. It's not what we've seen in the past, but it's just a great pickup for that team and kind of gives them a bit more of a certain element over there and, you know, a more consistent guy than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Yeah, and early in the preseason, uh, one thing I did hear a lot of people talk about is how bad the running backs behind Ramondre Stevenson are between Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong and how incapable they were in pass protection, but also in uh, short yardage and in just in general play. So uh, bringing in Zeke is going to bring a different element to the backfield in the sense of providing a sound uh, pass protector, but also I believe I saw, I think it was Ian Harditz from Fantasy Life, I think he's with now. Point is, though, he tweeted out something that Ramondre Stevenson was in, I believe, the 20s in percentage of carries inside the five, and Zeke was inside the top 10. And as far as Zeke's last couple of years, it seems like he's been pretty successful in that area, and it seems like maybe they want him to fill in that niche role that uh, pass running backs like Sony Michelle and Damian Harris have filled in in the past. So, uh, it, and then... Uh, going back to Dalvin Cook, I do agree with you, Connor. I think that they're going to be able to use him, especially early in the season, to help um, prevent Brees Hall from coming back too quickly. And I think it might even be possible that we see a 1A, 1B situation, but where the roles are a little flip-flop maybe for the first six games or so, where Dalvin might be the 1A and Brees might be the 1B, and then it flip-flops about halfway through the season. Yeah, I I really like that point about the flip-flopping. I think that is exactly uh, what they should do. Um, Dalvin is healthy. Brees is not. No point in risking Brees' long-term health. You've got a window of a couple years now uh, with Aaron being there. So you don't want to risk too much on this year. I think this is a great safety net. And uh, them two are going to they're going to do a lot of damage uh, sometimes with both of them on the field. I imagine they're going to see some snaps, you know, with both of them out there. Brees really is an offensive weapon and he's not the smoothest pass catcher, but he's a very capable one. And um, I mean, if, if he works on his hand and Dalvin as well, I mean, they're both really good pass catchers. So you could see them run a whole lot of things with one of them running around, uh, you know, or being a decoy out in the slot or something. Uh and uh, yeah, you're you're you were kind of right on the point I wanted to make about Zeke is like Zeke just has a nose for the end zone. He had 12 touchdowns last year. Um, under I think he had like 900 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns, and uh, I mean that's production. 
Like, I don't care if, if it was inefficient, you know, when you look at like what he did between the twenties, but that's what Ramondre is for. Ramondre is for um, getting the ball into the red zone. And then this team's going to use Zeke when it gets in close to, to, you know, push the ball over the goal line. And, you know, obviously Ramondre can do that too, but he's doesn't have the experience of Zeke and Ramondre also uh, had a bit of an issue with fumbling the ball last year. And I think that's something that Bill Belichick is really going to enjoy with Zeke is just kind of that uh, safety net of the, knowing Zeke's probably not going to cough the ball up too many times. Okay, so um, let's move on to uh, the preseason. There was, you know, we got our first full week of NFL football this weekend, and it was fantastic. Loved every minute of it. I mean, I didn't watch every single minute of every single game. I really only care for when the starters are out there, but I saw a lot of really good things. Um, specifically, I wanted to talk about some of the quarterback play, really starting with the rookies. C.J. Stroud did not look good, uh, but that offensive line change going from one of the most elite offensive lines, you know, that I can remember, honestly. I mean, Ohio State the last two years has just been so good on that O-line. Um, going from there to the Texans, um, you can see he's a little uncomfortable. Uh, that'll take some getting used to, but I think he can do it. Um, Anthony Richardson, I mean, the flashes are, I mean, obviously there's no, nothing changed really with Anthony Richardson. Like the flashes are spectacular. And uh, when he looks bad, he looks like he has no idea what the football is. And he's like, just... I don't know. If, like, should I kick it? Should I throw it? I don't know. Um, he, he, he definitely showed uh, some signs of the high end talent that we saw mm-hmm. coming out of college. There was a ball that he threw, I believe it was to Alec Pierce, that Alec Pierce just dropped, and it was mm-hmm. a pretty good deep ball. But then again, uh, there was a pretty bad pick that he threw where he just overthrew a guy and it went straight into the defender's hands. So, And he looked good carrying the rock, too, which obviously. Yeah. I mean, we all knew that was going to be the case. So, and then uh, the other one, uh, the other major uh, rookie performance, I think that needs to be talked about is Bryce Young. Uh, I mean, Bryce, Bryce looks so poised in the pocket, man. Like he doesn't have any of those problems that Stroud had. And obviously the Panthers O-line is better than the Texans, but I mean, the Panthers O-line isn't like great. They're, I definitely see them a little better in the run game than they are the pass game. But I mean, I think this is something that it it came clearly on film. He was in clean pockets a lot, but when he wasn't, it didn't bother him. And that was one thing that, that was a a real separator in my eyes between him and Stroud. And man, it showed like it was just night and day week one of the preseason. So in speaking on Bryce, as someone who watched him at Alabama, that was one of the things that stood out to me as well. Even in that very first game of his freshman year when he was playing Miami and whenever they got pressure towards him, he was still in there. He was poised. He was calm, you know, seemed collected under the pressure. And the fact that that carried over into the NFL, I mean, granted it's just one game that we've seen from him so far. The fact that it seems to be carrying over is a really big thing. I mean, he definitely seems like the most NFL ready quarterback. Yeah, and I, I can't agree with you guys um, more. I know it's just the preseason, but he did show us uh, the football IQ that we all thought uh, he had coming out of the draft. So, which is 
more important than honestly at this stage in his career, I'd rather him have good football IQ and great pocket awareness than have the, I guess you could say accuracy nailed down and things of that nature. I think that that kind of stuff with a high football IQ can be improved over time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, moving on to another rookie that Austin failed to mention, but I watched a lot of, is Dorian Thompson Rob, Dorian Thomas Robinson? Thompson. DTR out of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, he was just playing everything perfectly. I think he's got like a 90 QBR. He's played in two games now, so a bit more of a sample size from him uh, he did get the benefit of that hall of fame game versus the jets but uh in his preseason game the week one game he was nine of ten and had a touchdown drive uh the other drive we missed a field goal on because you know we're the browns we can't win games uh and then in the other game so total he's got 231 yards and two tutties uh, as well as a rushing touchdown so i mean just absolutely insane playmaking and we as Browns fans, I know Billy and I were talking about it some, did not really expect him to do much. You know, we were thinking more of a long-term project. We signed Josh Dobbs to be the backup. But he's been looking really good, and, like, he could step in behind Deshaun and, you know, potentially be that backup a lot earlier than people were thinking. I, I liked DTR a lot. Um, I mean, I obviously don't think he was ready to start. I still don't think he's ready to start. But he was definitely a guy that I thought uh, the NFL community just as a whole was too low on. And there's another guy who I uh, also felt that same way with Aiden O'Connell, who I want to uh, mention a little bit too. I I really I wanted to mention these guys, but obviously I wanted I didn't. You don't we don't need to talk about these guys as much as we do the the big three. But uh, McConnell's a great one to mention. I mean, he he showed up in his preseason game too. Yeah, I mean Vegas is. I mean they've got Jimmy G, but. Aiden O'Connell came in through 18 attempts, 15 completions for 141 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, he's, I mean, just horrible athlete. Absolutely no, no um, mobility whatsoever. I mean, he's like Tom Brady back there. But, uh, I mean, he had seven rushing yards somehow. I don't, I didn't necessarily <laughs> have to see all those, how he got those, but two rushes for seven yards on the stat book. Um, I thought that was interesting. I mean, you got to think it's an important job, the backup over there with Jimmy G's injury history mm-hmm. and their other quarterback is an aging Brian Hoyer. So, I mean, they they need someone that can potentially step up and be a good game manager type, you know, a Tom Brady type that can go in and make the passes he needs to. Don't really need, you know, the mobility upside, but go in there and just do what needs to be done to get your team a win. Um, so a young guy that I want to talk about, he's not a rookie, but, um, this is going to be his first season starting in the NFL. And that is Sam Howell. He has one NFL game under his belt and he looked really good in that one game in week 18 of last year. Um, I was really big on him. Not, I mean, comparatively, uh, to the community, uh, when he came out of college last year, you know, as a, as a guy who played in, uh, North UNC, I got to see a good bit of him. And what I saw in his uh, sophomore year before he 
or without even a junior year. I think he stayed for a senior year. Yeah. Um, I mean, his last year was just a completely different offense. He looked horrible. The year before, everybody thought he was a first-round pick, and and he ended up falling, getting taken by uh, the commanders, and now he's getting an opportunity to start, and he looked really good, threw an absolute dime to Jahan Dotson, who then put it in the end zone. Um, also showed off a little bit of mobility with an eight-yard run. Uh, Sam Howell, I think, I mean, he's not going to shock the world, I don't think. He's not going to come out and have some sort of like Patrick Mahomes level sit for a year and then come out and explode. But I think people are going to be surprised. Those who don't know Sam Howell's name, I think he's going to turn a lot of heads. I would uh, like to know, I think that that throw to Jahan Dotson was a little bit more credit on Jahan Dotson parts, <laughs> Jahan Dotson's part than Sam, because Jahan had to tip it back to himself and to catch it. It was a great catch by him. If you ask me. Yeah, he, he definitely, I, I was watching that game, uh, obviously as a Browns guy, but Jahan definitely made a bit more out of that than what it should have been. Honestly. I don't know. I thought uh, it was beautiful. I thought, I thought Jahan cut the route a little shallow, honestly. And I think because Howell put it on him pretty early and uh, I mean, obviously, that's just really early. They're kind of still getting their connection down, but he threw a catchable ball. And uh, what was it, 30 yards downfield towards the yeah. sideline? That was a good ball. I think the most important part of that was it was in a pot spot where only Jahan could get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's he's got good accuracy. Another quarterback duo that I want to talk to is that battle down in Tampa Bay. Uh Reportedly very, very close between Trask and Baker. Uh, buying it. I don't know. Apparently Baker threw like 10 interceptions in the 12 practices leading up to the week one game. And, you know, was not looking very good at all. Granted, he did go out and play well whenever it was time to do it in the actual game. And Trask didn't. But, I mean, in practice, you've got to do it in practice and in the game if you want to you know, be consistent. And you know, we've seen the flashes from Baker of hot and cold. And, you know, if it's as close as what they say, I think this game did a little to separate them, but I think they're still going to want to see more out of them. And they've invested a lot in the Trask at this point. They've kept him around for, what, three years now? Yeah, but I wouldn't say they've invested a lot in them. I mean, they're going to keep him yeah. as their backup. And I think he does get a shot this year if and when Baker fails. Peyton, do you have a thoughts on that? I agree with that. I wouldn't be surprised if by week seven, we probably see Trask start the rest of the year. I think by that point, there's a possibility that uh, the Bucks might be not mathematically out of it, but I, they could be a two-win team at that point and possibly just, you know, cashing out and tanking the rest of the year and just seeing what they have in Trask at that point. So, yeah, I mean, nobody wants to lose a bunch, but if there's a year to do it, this is the year with the um, two big-name quarterbacks and plus a big-name, possibly even bigger-name receiver. I think you're seeing – I think we're seeing two potential all-pro quarterbacks and a Hall of Fame receiver and as the top three picks of the draft this year. So – I'd argue a a supreme athlete at tight end as well. Yes, so, Brock yeah. Bowers also. Yes, God, yeah, he's a monster. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, those timing, if you can get a top four pick, man, just for like, yeah, if you can see what you've got and then win either way with either, Hey, we've got a guy or Hey, we don't have a guy we're about to like, I, I really don't see it as a losing scenario either way, unless somehow you do just good enough to like, where you're like the seventh pick or something like that. Yeah. And if they start Baker all the year and it ends up being a seven and 10 season, I think that's a terrible decision on their part. Right. Unless they make yeah. the playoffs. If you, I mean, if, if you can get to the dance, do it. I think that's the way I look at it. And that's the way pretty much everybody looks at it. But um, we'll see. I mean, it depends on how they're doing and how the division is because that division's just full of wild cards. Absolutely. Easily, I think, the weakest division in the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The other guy I want to talk about getting his first crack in the, the starting lineup is Jordan Love. Jordan Love looks good, man. I mean, there's nothing I can say really super negatively about what I saw from him. Ten attempts, seven completions, 46 yards and a touchdown. Um, he threw a beautiful deep ball to Christian Watson that got they just barely broken up. Um, I think Musgraves had a drop uh, at one point too. Jordan Love looks like this offense is going to be better than it was last year with um, Aaron Rodgers at the helm because Rodgers clearly wasn't happy, wasn't playing well, wasn't healthy. The team wasn't healthy in general. I think this year you're going to see the team come out healthy, ready to play, invigorated by this young quarterback who's going to be playing well. And I am a little bit scared. I I agree. And I do actually have uh, an additional note about Jordan Love and uh, one of your favorites, as noted on the previous podcasts that you guys had uh, in Luke Musgrave. In the 10 attempts that Jordan Love had, he actually targeted Musgrave three times. Yeah. So, which to me, uh, what, what I think is important to note in the preseason is the tendencies of the offense, not necessarily the actual performances, but what the offense is designed around and looks like in the first couple of drives that are being played. So whenever the starters were out there, uh, Jordan Love targeted Musgrave three times. And I want to say he targeted one of the running backs once, but the point is with me mentioning that to me, that seems it's indicative of this offense might be built around short area targets for the majority of the attempts that love has, but what they're going to do is possibly use Christian Watson and Jaden Reed and have basically use the short area passing game to open up the deep passing game with those two on the outside. Yeah. And I, I think that's a smart play. I mean, like, he's, like we're mentioning, he's getting his first crack at it. You don't want to do anything crazy right off the jump. You know, you're still figuring out what the offense is going to look like with them. Give them those safe passes. Give them that big target, doing a short slant over the middle, get them open, and then feed him the looks and get your quarterback more comfortable in the system. And like you said, that's going to open up Christian Watson to go deep. He's going to be able to air it out a couple times a game to him and just see what they can make happen together. Yeah, and maybe that that makes – Musgrave may be a bit of a fantasy sleeper, uh, depending on if he is going to hyper-target him in the short area. Uh, I know it's just one drive in one game, but it's not nothing. 
So. Okay, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about like running backs and receivers and anyone else you want to talk about. Um, the two receivers I want to bring up, uh, first off, Michael Wilson. Uh, I can't remember if it was last, last episode or the episode before, but I, I've, I've talked about Michael Wilson. He's going to be this team's leading second or receiver. He's going to play um, a lot of snaps out wide and he's going to be pretty successful. I really like the talent. I like his opportunity. He's a good player uh, and showed that off a lot in this preseason game. And then the other one I wanted to mention was Jackson Smith and Jigba looks really good. Like he was, he was running smooth routes as anticipated, but he, he looks quick out there, which is what a lot of people were worried about. I, I think Gino is, I don't know if, I don't think any of us have Gino as one of our hills to die on, but I, I think he deserves um, a, an honorable mention from me because I think the Seahawks team is going to be really good and he's got three really good weapons. Yeah. I also think that they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. So, and I didn't consider it, but, now that you say it, I'm kind of regretting not considering it being a fantasy hill to die on. Um, considering I do think that the offense is going to be it better than it was last year, uh, when it was already a top half offense in many metrics, especially in the passing game. So, yeah, I mean, just adding an athlete like JSN is going to boost you regardless. And that's just how it's going to work, especially keeping DK and Tyler Lockett over there. But, uh, Someone that I really liked was Trenton Irwin, the uh, Bengals receiver. He had a great, great preseason showing. He didn't seem like he was good. I mean, in all reports of camp, it seemed like he was going to be staying and making the roster. But I think he really set himself apart. I think he was also the highest graded person uh, or one of the highest graded you know, position players, not quarterbacks, that was rated out by PFF. So, I mean, just a, a great performance and something that you really want to see out of, you know, one of your young playmakers. Uh, I'll go ahead and mention a couple of guys that uh, are size outliers that I think showed some spunk this past week. Uh, I noticed that Tank Dell had a couple of really good drives, even though he was playing against the twos. Uh, he showed some really, really good ball concentration uh, on the throws that were targeted to him. Um, and then the second size outlier in Deuce Vaughn, I, I just think he was... <laughs> I, I don't want to say he looked like Darren Sproles because that's just so chalk and everybody says it, but I can't help but think that whenever I watch him. And He's I think that I, I, He is, but I do think that he... I think he can make the roster... And I wouldn't be shocked if he spells Tony Pollard a little bit as the third running back on the depth chart at some point later in the season. Yeah, I mean, Malik Davis is going to be the two there. But, but Deuce could definitely... I think he makes a roster for sure. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, He's going to... At some point, he's going to crack in there and get an opportunity, you know, as some passing down work or something like that. 
And I think he's a good player. He just, I think the size is just historically, there's nobody at his size who has a successful career at running back in the NFL. It just does not happen. Right. Both him and Tank Dale, really, which is why I thought yes. I mentioned them both. So, yeah, absolutely. I do really like those Darren Sproles, you know, comparisons that you're making there, though. I, I'm not I the only didn't... one. It feels like anybody no. and their mother is. So, but I, I, I hadn't seen it much. I hadn't. You know, thought about it really. I hadn't been paying much attention to those two guys in particular, but looking back on it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Deuce Vaughn, 5'5, 176. Darren Sproles was 5'6, 190. So he's, t- I mean, he's very small yeah. comparatively when you're talking about Darren Sproles. It's yeah. just no, but there's not the, I've, I've put a lot of thought into or research into the size of players because when I do my uh, grading in the offseason for uh, the upcoming draft class, I I give three grades and one of those is a physical grade. I just grade what the person does from a physical standpoint. That's height, that's weight, that's uh, vertical run, that's three cone drill, that's 40 yard dash, that's anything that can be measured. Um, What's the word like definitely quantitatively anything that can be measured quantitatively. I take that into account and I basically have a historical record for the past few years of, you know, height, weight, size like that. And I just give a grade based on how each player stacks up in each individual individual category. And there's a significant hit for the running back position. If you're under 200 pounds, because historically there's just not many guys. Very few running backs have had sustained success, not just a flash in a pan, but sustained success at under 200 pounds. And then there's a significant drop-off after 190 because hardly anyone ever has, and no one has under 180 ever. So that's just kind of why I, I've not written him off, but I, I just think it's going to be – it's going to take a miracle for Deuce Vaughn to produce. Right. Right. And I definitely don't predict him to be a significant producer, but I do, like we said, I I do expect him to make the roster, especially after showing the, um, the flashes that he has so far. I mean, when you watch the tape, it tells a completely different tale from what I'm saying right now. The tape tape and the physical tools tell two completely different stories. Right. I, I don't have any additional notes on specific players. I, I will say one thing that seemed to be a general consensus thought is that the Steelers offense looked pretty decent. Um, Kenny, Kenny yeah. threw it well. Yeah, yeah, Kenny did throw it well. Yeah, Pickens, of looks that, Pickens had a really nice reception for a touchdown. Yeah, and I think that especially down the stretch, we did see Kenny play a lot better. Uh, I think that whenever he was thrust into the starting role if i remember correctly they faced some pretty tough defenses uh in that five or six games that he played and then that last six game stretch um down the season he played a lot better um after looking at it in the uh, afc preview that we did so it doesn't surprise me to see him look the way he did in that short amount of time but it is encouraging knowing that he might continue the progression that he showed at the end of last season. Yeah, that is definitely something to keep an eye on. I uh, 
I personally sold off my share because I was just a little disgruntled with him, I think. But he did look really good moving the ball around. That whole offense looked a lot better than it did really at any point last season. Just looked like a more cohesive unit altogether. Another team that looked really, really good on both sides of the ball was the Jets. I, mean, I think they had the, the biggest win margin in the entire preseason. So far, it was 27 to nothing. Granted, it was against the Panthers, which, you know, was not a great team last year. They don't have a lot of, you know, guys that have been there and performed at a high level. But still, the, for the Jets to come out and even their twos and threes to be that, you know, effective with what they were doing, it's kind of good to see. You know, you, you want to give those New York teams a little something to cheer about. How have we not mentioned Justin Fields' historic performance? Three attempts, three completions for 129 yards and two touchdowns. He had like 10 air yards. I don't yeah, know. I was going to no, say. I think it was three. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. really three air yards? I think it was like three. That's I was say, put that on the playmakers he was getting the ball to. <laughs> yeah, he threw two screen passes that both were caught behind the line that went for 50-yard touchdowns. A 62-yard yeah. touchdown and a 56-yard touchdown. I, I was very much joking. I, kn- I knew that it wasn't high because of those two screen passes, but I didn't know what the actual stat was. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> now, DJ Moore is looking like what we all thought DJ Moore could. I mean, I mean yeah. that, was, that was an impressive run that he broke off. So is Khalil Herbert's. I traded away yeah. Khalil Herbert moments before that happened, by the way. <laughs> Our dynasty. That's peak like preseason tilting too. Yeah. It because of course it's preseason and you're like, oh, he looks incredible. You know, possible RB top fifteen running back, you know, and then but who knows? It's it it's just the preseason. Everybody take it with a grain of salt. It's week one of the preseason. Yeah, week one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, you missed your sell high though. Like, I do. You waited know. a couple more minutes. <laughs> I, I probably could have like sneaked an extra third round draft pick or something in there. Yeah, yeah. Amir Amir Abdullah status. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there anyone else you want to mention? Uh, week one standouts before we get into the next segment. I'm good. I don't have a standout, but I have a piece of news that I think is only going to okay. be relevant for the preseason. Um. And I don't know if you guys saw this. This is purely for laughs, but uh, Teddy Bridgewater oh, is going to wear number 50 because all of the numbers on the Lions currently, as the roster stands, are taken up numbers 0 through 19 because they're either assigned to players or they're retired. So he said, I'm wearing number 50. Beautiful. Let's see that. <laughs> Which is incredible, because that, and it's funny to me because doesn't Bill Belichick uh, do that to the rookie quarterbacks? Because he did that to Mac Jones in the yeah. training camp, like his rookie year or whatever it was, yep. and everybody made a content storm about it in the off season. But yeah. I would be very interested to see if I, I highly doubt that all the players who are assigned numbers zero through nineteen are going to make the roster. So I'm sure that will change. But if it doesn't, that would be incredible. Yeah, it would. that'd be sick. Yeah. Would he? I don't know what the history of quarterback numbers are. I wonder if anyone's ever like. Well, I guess obviously like wide receivers have like thrown touchdown passes, but I, I don't know if a quarterback's ever, um, had <laughs> like thrown a touchdown pass or anything like that wearing number fifty. That'd be cool. 
Yeah, I, I think by rule, they can't unless th this was the specific exception, like I said, because all numbers 0 through 19 were either assigned to current players on the roster before he signed or they were retired. Right. So that's the only way that that could happen. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to do a quick ad break from uh, one of our wonderful partners here at uh, Box Score Network, one of our fellow podcasts and then we'll be right back with our hills to die on hey everyone i'm ben parker and i'm robert Envire, and we are the odds on favorite presented by box score network every week we analyze nfl point spreads over unders props futures and much more follow us on twitter at odds on favorite and listen on apple spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts All right, so uh, the Hills to Die On segment, we did it last year. It was a lot of fun, and this is just, if you don't know like what a Hill to Die On is, this is an opinion that we feel very strongly about, specifically related to fantasy football. This is something we will defend until um, until it just it happens or it doesn't, or, but and, until we see exactly what's going to happen, I'm going to be sticking with this. I'm going to be drafting these players or i'm going to be not drafting these players it doesn't have to be a, a hill based on positivity it can be something like i'm not touching this player it can be something about a team or a position or a draft strategy whatever but something you just feel so strongly about that no matter what the others other people tell you you will not be talked down off this hill so we'll give the honors to connor if you want to start us off with your first hill that you are going to be dying on this year i'm honored because i was going to ask you first I was I've been on this hill for a couple years now, uh, and it started really taking shape last year. I even named uh, one of my fantasy teams after him, but it's Miles freaking Sanders. I am all in on Miles Sanders, and right now he is the twentieth ranked running back by terms of average draft position. So if you don't know what that is, it means that on average, 19 other running backs are going before him in drafts, and he is about the 50th to 60th player taken. So for some people that are going above him this year, uh, we've got Jameer Gibbs, Ken Walker, uh, Alexander Madison, Aaron Jones. You know, all these guys are, are going ahead of him very consistently. And the thing that Miles Sanders has that none of these other guys have going for them is that there is really no other running back on his team that's going to be competitive for, you know, a bunch of carries. And there are no top end wide receivers for his rookie quarterback to be throwing to. So I think the, uh, the best wide receiver on that team right now might be DJ Chark or Adam Thielen, you know, whichever way you want to lean. I think both of those are pretty comparable. But Miles Sanders has not only shown that he can be a effective running back when given the bulk of the carries, as we saw last season whenever he Philadelphia finally gave him a very large percent of the carries, but he can also catch the ball really well. So, I mean, he can kind of do it all, and I think that he's going to be a beautiful – little escape option for Bryce Young. He's going to get a ton of carries out of that backfield because they're not going to let Bruce Bryce up too early. 
and, you know, just overwork him. And I think this is a perfect situation for him to continue building on what he did last year when he had 259 carries for almost 1,300 yards, just shy of five yards a carry and 11 touchdowns. So, I mean, I, I think that he's perfectly poised to continue building on that. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, right now I see on Sleeper ADP he's going as RB18, and I have him at RB15 in my personal rankings. So I do have him slightly outperforming his and I don't have an issue with you taking him at his ADP because, I like you said, I think there's just such a high floor on his production. There's not a whole lot behind him this year to take away from his production. Deontay Foreman is no longer on this team. Uh, there is only really Chubba Hubbard who in the times we have seen him has been shown only to be a average at best ball carrier, if not below average. Um, so I don't see there being any real threat to his workload uh, throughout this year. So here's my one concern with Miles Sanders is touchdowns. He historically has been not very good at scoring touchdowns. He had three his rookie season, six his sophomore season. His third year in the league, he had zero rushing touchdowns, didn't get in the end zone once. And then obviously last year he had 11. And I'm just wondering, is is it sustainable for him to be, you know, I don't obviously don't wouldn't anticipate 11 again, but if he could be somewhere in that 6 to 11 range, that would be great. If he's, you know, in that six or under range, that has me a little bit nervous. Um, it's just moving from the best offense in football, the best offensive line in football to this Panthers team with a rookie quarterback and, you know, just a an average to slightly above average offensive line. I'm a little bit worried about the touchdowns. But that being said, you're not taking a huge gamble on Miles Sanders at, at RB18. So I do like it. I, I think there is value there. I, I agree with um, being a little more on the positive side. I think I'm leaning more towards that than the negative. Yeah, personally, I have him finishing as a top 12 running back. Ooh. So how many touchdowns do you think he like, – how, how often do you think he gets in the end zone this season? I think he gets nine at least. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not I, – I couldn't imagine – I couldn't project him to be that high. But I think – I think seven is a number that I would be comfortable with. If he gets seven touchdowns, I think he'll finish as a top 15 running back. And and the touchdowns is a very good point to make Austin, because overall, I think this team is going to be a team that wins games with its defense. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the games that they play in are probably going to be in the two touchdowns to three touchdowns range where the total for the games are all around I don't know, 34 and under. So there's probably not going to be a whole lot of high scoring bouts. So the touchdowns may be limited, um, especially for the Carolina side of each game. So yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you in a sense, but I do think that I'm more okay with Connor's, um, I guess you could say infatuation with Miles Sanders. Yes, I would call it that as well. Okay, Peyton, uh, you want to go ahead and give one? Yeah. You know, in retrospect, I these both of these might seem more like I'm trying to be hot takey, but after doing the research, I feel a little bit more comfortable with both of them. 
uh, and they are somewhat related because there's almost a cause and effect with both of these. Uh, the second one I will get to later, but the first one is I'm, I almost guarantee you guys are going to talk me out of it, but um, I do not think Devonte Adams will finish as a wide receiver one this year. And in order to preface that, I want to give a history lesson dating back to 2013, meaning that the past 10 years, there has been a wide receiver that has been drafted in the top 10 of wide receiver ADP on a team that has finished with a losing record that has performed lower than a wide receiver one being meaning lower than the wide receiver 12. It's happened every single year and I have each one for you. So last year, Mike Evans was drafted as wide receiver seven. He finished as the wide receiver 16 overall and in points per game. Tampa Bay finished eight and nine. 2021, Terry McLaurin drafted as wide receiver 10, finished as wide receiver 24. Washington finished seven and 10. 2020, Kenny Galladay, which all time bust, if you ask me, in fantasy football, drafted as wide receiver seven, finished lower than wide receiver 50 because of injuries and he just sucked. So, and the Giants finished six and 10 that year. Previous year, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was drafted as the wide receiver six in his uh, Cleveland year where he was hyped up. Uh, he finished as the wide receiver 31. Cleveland finished six and 10. I, I can, I'm going to keep going and just list the names. I'm not going to give you the records and everything because all these teams had losing records. All these wide receivers finished, um, let's see, as wide receiver threes, every single one of them, and they were all drafted as top 10 wide receivers. Uh, Odell Beckham again in 2017, uh, back in 2018, uh, AJ Green, 2016, Allen Robinson, 2015, both Des Bryant and Jordan Matthews, 2014, Brandon Marshall with the Bears, and 2013, Roddy White with the Atlanta Falcons. There's a very, very deep history of this happening. All these have in common what Devontae Adams has in common coming into this year, where he is being drafted as wide receiver seven. Las Vegas's win total is at six and a half. And I firmly believe that the Raiders are going to be a bad team this year. And other things that point to a possible down year for Devontae Adams, and by down year I mean not finishing as a wide receiver one, is that Jimmy G has only played more than 10 games twice in his whole career. And in those two years where he played more than 10 games, he has only supported a wide receiver one once. And it was the outlier Debo Samuel year that Austin decided to throw in the trash can last episode that you guys recorded. So, uh, and behind him, which I didn't notice that these, or I actually didn't have any idea these two guys were going to get two shout outs on this podcast. Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell are the backups. <laughs> I have no faith in either one of them to support a, a fantasy productive year for Devonte Adams. So the moral of the story is that wide receiver ones on bad teams, despite the guaranteed target share rarely pan out. And I think this might be the red flashing lights and warning signs that we may see wide receiver two types of production from Devontae Adams this year. Peyton, whenever you told us that you were going to go with Devontae Adams, I was really hoping that this is the way that you were going because I have him finishing about wide receiver 18. Like you said, I have no faith in Jimmy G staying healthy for the entire season and Brian Hoyer's been around for what 15 18 years almost now. And he's he's been in the league for a long time. And we've seen a glimpse of what Aiden O'Connell can do. But 
like you said, I have no faith in any of the three of them being able to sustain a wide receiver one at any point. I think that Devontae is still going to be the best receiving option on that team, and he's still going to score more than anybody else. I think he'll be a great wide receiver too, but he absolutely, I don't think, will be on that wide receiver one. I'm I'm right there with you. I was really hoping this was what he were going with it. Yeah, I mean, I just disagree. I I just love the player too much. I I think he's quarterback proof at this point. Derek Carr was pretty bad last year, guys. It's it's not going to take that much out of Jimmy G to sustain what he did. And and when you look at what uh, where did he finish last year? If you don't mind me, Devontae? Yeah, he was definitely a wide receiver one. I want to say yeah, he I think was... he was wide receiver two or three. He was up there. I, I know he finished really high. In half PPR fantasy football, he was the wide receiver two last year. And even if he takes a pretty significant hit, he's still going to be a top 12 wide receiver. Uh, drafted at seven, that's right where I've got him this year. I think if a backup comes up, they're going to be leaning on Adams more so than ever. Uh, and Jimmy G, Jimmy G, I think, is good enough to get him the ball lined up outside or inside. You saw him lined up more on the outside last year by a slight margin than what he was back in Green Bay. Um, he lined up on the outside 76.6% of the time, and he was on the line of scrimmage 74.2% of the time last season, which is just slightly up from his you know, Green Bay numbers, but he still moved around and put in places where he can get the ball in his hands. And without, you know, Darren Waller this year to, I mean, obviously Jacoby Myers comes in. I like Jacoby Myers a lot, but I I think there's definitely a route to where Jimmy G gets hurt and, you know, O'Connell, you know, comes in, you know, cause they're kind of washing the season away. want to see what they've got in O'Connell and, and, I mean, maybe he's just there's just no touchdowns and he finishes at like wide receiver 12, but that's still a wide receiver one. And I, I don't think you're super bummed if you get wide receiver 11 or 12 production out of Devontae Adams. And I really think that's the floor for him, guys. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see it happening. I think the talent, I mean, he was he's 94th. But obviously, this is not like objective stats. These are Matt Harmon's reception perception. He's 94th percentile at getting open against man coverage, 88th percentile at getting open against zone coverage and 96th percentile at getting open versus press coverage. And that's like all time percentiles, not just for last season. So he's just historically incredible. He's every year. His profile is just shows up as elite and talent wins out, man. I'm telling you talent wins out. I want to make it clear. I still think that he's from a talent standpoint, one of, the, I mean, definitely 10 best wide receivers in the NFL, wow. if not higher, probably five. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess my argument is more so based on historical uh, happenings in fantasy football uh, relative to the wide receiver position. And I'm looking at the top 10 wide receivers in ADP. And he is the only one that fits the criteria that I named uh, for the the trend that has taken place over the past 10 years. And I actually went back further, but I didn't want to, you know, bore everybody, but just listening off names endlessly. So I, it, there aren't any other candidates that I see um, 
I, I guess you could say Cooper Cup because the Rams are probably going to be pretty bad too. But I, I don't necessarily have enough faith that Cooper Cup is going to be succumb to the same quality of quarterback play that Devontae Adams is, which is why I went with him as the pick to fall out of the top 12 as opposed to Cup. Other than that, I don't see any of the other uh, wide receivers being drafted in the top 10 having that same t- kind of uh, fall. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's – my opinion is more based on where I project the Raiders' offense – which is not high at all, and that that's kind of where I'm at. I think that the Rams' offense will be competitive. I think their defense is going to be what costs them a lot of games. Just curious, what was the Raiders' record last year? They were six and eleven. Yes. Okay, so they're projected about the same amount of wins this year as they had last year. So he finishes wide receiver two last year, and that's kind of where I'm just going to rest my case there. I, I do I do see your point though. I, I agree that no one else fits the criteria in the wide receiver one category. Um uh, besides barring Cooper Cup and a Matt Stafford injury. So yeah. I, I do see your point there. I definitely got very hot takey with this one when which you know And a, a lot of the running a lot of the receivers that you mentioned did get injured. Yeah. So a couple of them did have injury issues. I mean, Oda Beckham had an injury, a season ending injury one year. There, uh, Alan Robinson. That actually uh, was the Jacksonville year that, yeah, I, I think he missed a couple of games. I'd have to double check, but um, I think he played the majority of that season still. And, and Mike Evans last year, I think, only played 15 games, right? Yeah, he, he missed right. one or two at least. Right. And I, I don't want to predict injuries by any means. I think it's just more so to show the trend of mm-hmm. trying to identify the bus wide receiver position and what some of the warning signs are every single year and what we can look for as maybe some kind of indicator as to how to identify them. I And I don't think that Devontae Adams finishing as wide receiver 14 is a huge bust. But right. I think that people would be slightly let down by that result. 100%. I, I got to say, I, I do think I appreciate I appreciate your methodology. And I think that it is good to look at things like that. And historical trends do matter. Like I just mentioned with like my running back spiel about how they don't succeed, you know, at, at certain sizes. I, I think that kind of stuff's important. And I mean, if this, I mean, if this trend continues, it's, it's important data. Yeah, I would agree. But uh, so let's go ahead. And I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, give one of my takes. And um, we did a running back. We did a receiver. I'll mix it up and go with a tight end for my first one. So when I tell you that I really love a 31-year-old tight end who's missed 40% of his team's games in the last two seasons... I mean, that doesn't sound the most appealing, uh, like the most appealing player. But tight end position is just different. There is not a sure thing outside of Travis Kelsey. There is no such thing as like a guarantee lock for tight end two. And Darren Waller is currently being drafted at tight end seven. Personally, I've got it as my tight end four. The opportunity he's got in New York is pretty amazing. This team has very little 
uh, established when you talk about pass catchers. You've obviously got Saquon Barkley, who's a great pass catcher out of the backfield, but their receiving core is not very good. Daniel Bellinger is obviously taking a backseat to Waller and this offense. So when you look at who Daniel Jones is going to get have to throw the ball to, Darren Waller just immediately jumps out. He is a historically supreme athlete at the tight end position. Obviously, after some injuries at the age of 31, he's not a supreme athlete anymore. But by tight end standards, I still think he's very, very good and athletic. He has a history of producing, and he was on pace for 800 receiving yards last year, even though he only played um, about half the season uh, or somewhere around half the season. He would have, on a full 17-game season, would have had over 800 receiving yards, which would have been fourth best at the position. So when you factor in, He's a big target, and they don't have any big targets on that team, so I think he'll get some good looks in the red zone. You know, last year he was dealing with one of the best receivers uh, in the red zone in Devontae Adams. This Giants team doesn't have any weapons like that in the receiver game who are like super shifty and get open out of the slot and score a touchdown. So Waller, I think, is going to be used as a big target in the end zone. So... I see him reaching a right around that 800 yard receiving mark and finishing with a good six touchdowns, which easily puts him inside the top five tight ends. And I think worst case scenario, the, t- the offense takes a, a step back. Daniel Jones takes a step back. Darren Waller gets like maybe two or three touchdowns. It has like 700 yards, which is still like tight end seven where he's being drafted at. So I really see no downside and, I, th- I think you're getting like the tight end three, four, or five on the year when you draft Darren Waller. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think that you really can project a, a backslide with this team. I think Dable is a great coach. It's going to continue the the growth of Daniel Jones. He did just sign that big contract. And, and like I said, there is no other, you know, dedicated pass catcher that can really outclass Darren Waller. My only concern with him would be his health and, you know, staying on the field and staying in games. But if he can do that, I think that you're absolutely right. He's got all the potential there and a great offense with a great fit uh, to be a top five guy. And at the tight end position, that is very, very difficult to find. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely going to be dying on the Hill with you, Freed. I, I think that he can easily be the Giants leading pass catcher. I think that he can actually even surpass 800. I think he can get close to 900 yards uh, this season. And he's my tight end three. And if you told me he finished his tight end two, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Uh, tight end two is in the realm of outcomes. Um, but, you know, just being on the like you know conservative side with my projections tight end four tight end three i think i mean that's awesome the the in with your point about the injury history connor yes it's there but that's baked into his adp right now and i think that's my favorite part about it is you're getting a guy who can be elite but doesn't necessarily have to be to return value and he can miss a few games and still you can and that's the thing i love is when a person gets hurt and misses games. I hate when a player 
gets hurt, but still trots out there and is just like, do I start him? Do I start him? I don't know. Like, is he just a decoy out there? Is he even going to play meaningful steps? And I mean, if he's missing time, I'm just going to be able to go in and, and grab another tight end, put him on my IR spot. And then, and then whenever he's back healthy, I, I got a, you know, another top five tight end right back in the lineup for me. So. Yeah. And another point to support your argument is just looking at the list of tight ends um, in the top 10, top 12, even he is one of three that I can see that are, I would say the definitive number one pass catching option in their respective offenses. Mm -hmm. Kelsey, Andrews, and Waller. Everybody else is either option number two or lower on their offense. So Maybe I think Kyle Pitts. I I would argue no, but yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, he is a he has a chance to be sure. He if, does. Yes, if they I use him, right? I they have yet to show that they are willing to use one of the best prospects we've seen at the position yet. So uh, until then, I'm gonna name. I'm gonna say it's three. <laughs> that yeah. are the number one pass catching options in their respective offenses. And he is one of them. And you're getting one of those three, five spots lower than the other two mm -hmm. in ADP. Yep. Or as far as drafting them at tight end, drafting him at tight end seven versus tight end one or two for Andrews and Kelsey. Well, I mean, tight end one, you're going to have to use a first round pick on that. Right. Right. right and as far so. as the ADP difference, I, I mean, Kelsey is at, six mark andrews is going in the early third and waller is all the way down in the sixth round range so yeah and in half ppr scoring you're talking about just just from the mark andrews drop to darren waller you're talking from pick 28 to pick 63 across all you know averaging all um fantasy apps platforms. yeah platforms yes thank you so yeah, it's it's a significant drop off there, and there's a there's a there's a really good tier break right there. But you see, uh, overall sixty one, sixty two, and sixty three with Kyle Pitts, Dallas Goddard, and Darren Waller. So really, all three of those guys are being drafted about the same. Um, so, and you know sometimes Darren Waller is going to go as tight end five, but. I still think you can grab him as tight end five and be happy with it. I mean, I would rather have Darren Waller than Kyle Pitts or Dallas Goddard this year. 100%. So, uh, Connor, why don't you go ahead and give your second one? So, I am going, you know, we've had a running back, we've had a wide receiver, we've had a tight end. It's time for the quarterbacks to come into play. So, I am dying on the hill that Derek Carr takes a step forward and is a top 12 fantasy quarterback to end the year. It would tie his highest fantasy football finish, uh, which happened all the way back in 2016 when he was throwing to Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. Uh, but I have 100% faith that he can do it again this year. He's going to be on an improved Saints team. They're going to have Michael Thomas back, allegedly. They're going to have, you know, Alvin Kamara after three games. Uh, it was only three game suspension, right? Yes, yes. it was only okay. Three. That's what I was thinking. Uh, but he is currently being drafted as quarterback number twenty, uh, behind Anthony Richardson, behind Geno, behind you know Tua, behind Dak, Jared Goff. Uh, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, all these guys are going ahead of him. 
And I think that at, you know, quarterback 20, which is kind of an ADP of ninth, 10th round in, in most places, you know, you've got a lot of value there. Uh, last year was a down year, but it was also one of his seasons with the low, it was his season of the lowest amount of passing attempts that he had tried. He did not play in two games and, you know, his completion percentage was still higher than it had been in some other seasons. They were leaning heavily on Devontae Adams, like we talked about. He was really the main guy, and Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs carried the ball a lot. He took up a lot of the offense that was going on over there, and their defense didn't really set them up much in positions to win. So I think that the Saints being in a much, much weaker division, uh, like I said earlier, the weakest in the NFL right now, it gives him a much better opportunity with the young weapons of Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara, as well as, you know, getting Michael Thomas back. I think that that all combined will give him, you know, the ability to finish up in the top 12. I think that a, a more conservative pick would be top 15 quarterback. I think he is well above what his ADP is showing right now. I think that that is in the range of outcomes. However, I have a couple of Derek Carr stats from last year that although he did pass at a lower volume, he also had one of the, I think his worst efficiency year uh, thus far in his career since his rookie year. Um, he was 33rd in red zone passer rating. Uh, he completed just 60.8% of his passes, which like I said, is the lowest since his rookie year. Uh, he had a 2.8 interception rate which was his career high. Um, he had career lows since 2017 in passing yards per game, as well as passing yards per attempt and his QB rating. So I think it's pretty damning evidence that we saw a decline in the quality of play from Derek Carr, even after adding an elite pass catcher. And not only that, but one that he had familiarity and chemistry with in the past. So, that alone is very concerning to me, and it makes me think that his ADP uh, right there around the QB20 range is a little bit more warranted than you think, Connor. So here's here's just a little interesting tidbit that I, I found. When I heard Derek Carr, I was like, man, I don't know. This is a guy who I've, I have not got a concrete feeling on this year because like PFF graded him out really bad last year. But when you look at his counting stats and only 15 games, I'm just going to give you two players. Okay. Player Aaron, player A and player B. Player A had a 60% completion percentage. Player B had a 66%, no, sorry, 68% completion percentage. Player A had seven yards per attempt. Player B had 6.8. Player A had 24 touchdowns thrown. Player B had 25. And then player A had 14 interceptions. And player B had 10. How far apart would you guys guess those are in ADP than this season. Those are, those were last season stats. Where do you think they are in, in ADP this season? Can I guess player B? Um, no. Well, give your guesses okay. first. All right, and then I'll let you guess. 
Okay. I'm going to guess that it's because the way you're posing the question, I'm going to guess it's like 10 uh, yeah. position spots in ADP. I would say about eight. Uh, well, do you want to take your guess on who player A is? Well, player A is Derek Carr. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Player B, sorry. <laughs> I think it's Aaron Rodgers. It is not Aaron. I thought oh, about doing Aaron okay. Rodgers. Okay. Uh, but he's. I, I didn't want to do Aaron Rodgers because uh, he had a really bad year last year. I want to give someone who didn't necessarily, people don't think of him having a down year last year. And uh, player B was Justin Herbert. Oh, okay. That's not surprising, though. I think that he did have a down year last year. I mean, yeah, slightly. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, when when you t- when you look at those not being so far apart, I'm like, man, the court. It just brings me back to like the quarterback position being such a like reverse exponential curve. Uh, like it just flattens out. And when you look at the difference between the quarterback that's going to finish at eight and sixteen, it's not really ever going to be that much. And so for him to somehow sneak up and be uh, quarterback 12, I think is in the realm of possibilities. If Michael Thomas is healthy, I think it's there's a, a lot better chance. And obviously he has to be healthy and look good, but he looked fine last year. Obviously Olave isn't the number one. You've got Raheed Shahid running deep routes out there. Um, yeah, I think, I think he's a pretty capable guy. I, I'm not, I'm not a Derek Carr hater. I, I, I'm fine with it. Hey, don't forget they brought back Jimmy Graham. They have oh my God. They have endless <laughs> options at tight end. Yes. Taysom Hill is a menace wherever you put him on the field. So. They also have Jawan Johnson, and they also signed Foster Moreau this offseason. So they yes. have every tight end option you could possibly have. In that, in I, I kind of like Jawan Johnson as a, as a deep sleeper at tight end this year. If they hadn't, him. if they hadn't signed Jimmy Graham and Foster Moreau, I would also be on that boat with you. But... He's so much better than either one of them. Yeah, yeah. But... I mean, Jimmy Graham's. I don't know how much he even ends up playing. I think it's just so he can retire as Saint. Absolutely. I did. You see the interview that Tyron Matthew had with him, where he saw him uh, in, I believe it was the the building, and he was like. Hey, you coming back to to coach? And he said, "No, I'm going to play." And Tari Matthew was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't want to get too far off topic, though. I I think Freed, you make a very good point in the the leveling out between, uh, especially fantasy finishes from the lower end QB ones to the middling uh, QB twos, and that there really isn't that much of a total point differentiation between. Uh, all of those players, some you do give a little bit of a convincing uh, argument as to how Derek Carr can possibly finish in that low QB one range. Um, I'm still not completely sold, uh, not nearly as much as Connor is, but I I'm willing to entertain the possibility of that happening now. Yeah, I I think it uh, in my projections I still have him around sixteen. Uh, 15 actually is where I've got him. So, I mean, if he, that's like extra four, less than that, two and a half fantasy points per game to jump up from like 15 to 12. The difference last year between 15 and 12 in 
Um, let's see. Let me make sure I'm I'm looking at. So that's like just throwing two more touchdowns and, and variants of that. So yeah. So quarterback quarterback twelve scored two eighty. Quarterback even just sixteen scored two thirty five. So that's like forty five points difference there. Yeah. Yeah, and across an eighteen game or not 18 games but 17 games spread um well i guess 16 because it's really who the hell plays in week 18 um yeah well yeah so so across 16 games that's what like three more fantasy points per game like like, yeah like two and a half to three fantasy points per game yeah so So. it's doable yeah um okay cool peyton you're up next all right, so I alluded to the other fantasy hill I was going to die on because if I don't think that Devontae Adams is going to finish as a wide receiver one, somebody else has to fill that spot. And I think that a player that is fully capable of doing that is Calvin Ridley. Um, I want to first off by supporting this argument by presenting some Trevor Lawrence uh, season splits. So uh, Trevor Lawrence's weeks one through eight – He had 21.5 completions per game. He had 34.6 attempts per game. He averaged 230 yards passing per game. He had 10 touchdowns and six interceptions. In the second spread of games from week nine through week 16, he had 24, he had 24.3 completions per game. So almost two and a half more per game. Uh, He had 34.3 attempts per game, which is actually lower or just about the same, so he was more efficient over the second half of the season. Uh, He averaged 258 yards per game, so he averaged almost 30 yards more per game in the second half. Uh, And his touchdown to to interception spread was 14-2, to which was drastically different than the first half. So extrapolated over a full season, that would result in over 250 more passing yards, four more touchdowns, and three less interceptions. What that tells me is that if Trevor Lawrence is able to keep up the performance that he had over the last eight games of the year or from weeks nine through 16 during the fantasy season that he's going to provide uh, more, I guess you could say production to spread amongst the wide receiver core and looking at the targets and the touchdowns that were allocated to the pass catching options last year for the Jags, uh, Christian Kirk had 133 targets and eight touchdowns. Zay Jones had 121 targets and five touchdowns. Evan Ingram had 98 targets and four touchdowns. And Marvin Jones even had 81 targets and three touchdowns. So automatically, the way that I view this wide receiver core coming into this year is that I believe there's going to be a trickle-down effect where Evan Ingram probably fills in the Marvin Jones amount of targets. Zay Jones probably fills in the Evan Ingram targets and likewise with Kirk filling in the secondary amount of targets that Zay Jones uh, occupied last season. So with that said, I don't see any reason why Calvin Ridley can't have the same amount of targets in 130 or more that Christian Kirk had. And Christian Kirk also had eight touchdowns last year. Don't see any reason why uh, Calvin Ridley can't have at least that, if not more, because the last time we saw Calvin Ridley, fully healthy in I know it was 2020. So over two years ago, long time, especially in football. But the last time we saw him, he finished the year with 143 targets, nine touchdowns, and he went 90 for 1374. 
and he finished as a wide receiver four in fantasy and he only played 15 games. So I, in my opinion, I don't think there's any way that he sees any less than 130 targets if he stays healthy in this offense. And if he gets that amount of targets, I don't see any way he doesn't at least finish in the wide receiver 12 to wide receiver 10 range, if not better. Yeah. I, you know, we, thankfully we did send our guys in beforehand that would double up, but seeing your two guys, Peyton, I got a little jealous cause I was looking at both of them, but didn't want to take either of them from you. Uh, yeah. I, oh, I think that with, uh, you know, I just, I didn't want to do it to the guest. Got to make you feel love. Got to make you want to come back. Uh, but I think that we can all kind of just discount Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. I have no problem with doing that. He was in a horrible situation, no head coach really. And then last year to just see the improvement he made throughout the course of the season that you pointed out, I think that he can easily continue building on that. They're adding more of these pieces around him. He's got that, you know, true number one receiver, not to say that, you know, the guys that were there weren't, but he's got that one, two option now. And I think that, you know, seeing Calvin Ridley sustain wide receiver one type numbers before, you know, like you said, in 2020, whenever he was that guy after Julio left in Atlanta, you know, we've seen him do it. He's shown in camp that he's explosive and is looking just as good as he ever was. The two year break might have honestly been one of the best things for him to just kind of help him revitalize, refocus and reset. And I think that he absolutely has all the potential in the world to be a, a 12 to eight wide receiver. Yeah, I think for me, this kind of depends on what you think of Christian Kirk. And I don't mean this year. I mean, what you think of him as a player in general through his career. Do you think, because I mean, say what you want. Christian Kirk was very good last year. Oh, I agree. And I, I think Christian Kirk is a good player for the record. Yes, I agree. Uh, I'm going to pull up the running or the wide receiver stats. Um, Let's see. We were looking for senior Christian Kirk. So Christian Kirk graded out as the 27th best uh, wide receiver by PFF, which... I, I think that's pretty accurate. I would say he's just barely a top 32 um, receiver in the league. I think that's a fair statement, but, or he was last year saying not for his career, obviously for his career. Um, he was a, a wide receiver too. in, in uh, I almost called it St. Louis in Arizona. Um, Cardinals, obviously baseball in the mind a lot. I mean, they were St. Louis Cardinals at one point. Yes. Well, they are the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. And there was obviously the St. Louis Rams. Yeah, whatever. That's that whole thing's a little confusing. Um, but when you I mean, when you go back and look at 2021, um Christian Kirk was still graded as the 31st best receiver. So yeah, I think he's I think he's a nice addition. But Calvin Ridley is significantly better. I mean, Calvin Ridley, when he's playing right, and he was uh, like last time we saw him for a full season, is easily a top 15 
receiver in the NFL. And I think he's going to be playing as the wide receiver one. Although I do think Kirk does eat into it a little bit, but I think Trevor Lawrence's ascension, I think balances that out. And I really do kind of agree with that trickle down effect. I think you see, um, I think you see Calvin Ridley take the number one spot, finish about the same as Christian Kirk did, which was, I think, wide receiver 11 last year. And uh, where did did Zay Jones finish? He, I believe, was somewhere in the, like, I wanted to say he was a borderline wide receiver two. Yeah, I was going to say it's close to there. I, I do see. So I see Christian Kirk probably finishing somewhere around... 20 ish mm-hmm. probably with um Calvin Ridley being somewhere in that like 11 12 13 range and I mean being yeah being drafted at I believe uh, Calvin's being drafted at like wide receiver 18 right now yeah I'm seeing him 16 to 18 is kind of where his his draft stock is so yeah, I, I think there is a good value there, and then it's really the upside is the whole like cancelizing thing with uh, certain players, and and Calvin Ridley is one of those who, when you look, you, you mentioned he was wide receiver four before, and I think he could easily be top seven. So uh, I think he could even go as high as top five, honestly, potentially. It's in the range of outcomes if we if we see the the projected growth not only from a play standpoint, but from a production standpoint that we all think Trevor Lawrence is going to have coming into this year. There's no reason to think that all the pass catchers in the offense benefit from that. Yeah. I mean, there, there are people predicting Trevor Lawrence to have an MVP caliber season. And if he does have an MVP caliber season, he's going to have someone put up numbers. I don't think it's going to be one of those like, spread it all evenly things. I think you're going to see either Calvin Ridley or Christian Kerr put up ridiculous numbers. And I, my money's on Calvin Ridley out of those two, but I think they're both going to be valuable uh, fantasy assets. If, especially if Trevor Lawrence plays at an MVP caliber level, if he just plays like he did second half of last year, which you can argue was nearly MVP caliber. Yeah. I think you're, yeah, your, your money. I think I love, I love that. Yeah, and I, I know this was a Calvin Ridley point, but um, just as an extra note about Christian Kirk, I mean, he had 133 targets last year and he had 1,100 yards. If he occupies the same amount of targets as A. Jones had at 120, I mean, there's no reason why both him and Calvin Ridley can't both have 1,000 yards receiving him. Absolutely. No. Totally agree. I could easily see it happening too. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and hit my last hill to die on, and this is going to be running back for the Dallas Cowboys, Tony Pollard. I sucks we couldn't have Parker on. Um, oh, I know. But uh, I'm sure he would have had some some valuable insight. R.I.P. But, but, when, <laughs> but when you talk about value, uh, I mean, Tony Pollard, to me, stands out, and not because he's being drafted as, like, running back, you know, 15, 16, and could finish inside the top five. I'm not, it's not like that. I'm talking about value inside the top eight, which is very rare to see these days, especially at the running back position. Like usually it's a lock for these guys. You pretty much kind of know where they're all going to be. And then there's a 
a big drop off. And then you see guys like Miles Sanders who could be great values, but Tony Pollard being drafted at running back eight and half point PR, PPR scoring is a value to me. And I mean, that's basically, and that's based off the Cowboys moving forward from Zeke. Tony Pollard's being given the keys to this offense completely and entirely. Last year, Zeke and Tony Pollard combined for 424 rushing attempts, 1,883 rushing yards, and 21 rushing touchdowns. That was with Pollard contributing just about half of those stats. I think this year he's easily set up, like we mentioned with their running back room earlier being not that deep. I think he's easily going to get 67, like uh, 60 to 70, probably closer to 70% of that volume just from those numbers that Zeke and Pollard combined for. And assuming he gets, call it two thirds of that, so 67%, that stats him out to having over 1,300 yards, nearly 1,400, and having double digit rushing touchdowns. On the ground only is what that is. That's put that puts him easily as a top ten running back, and then when you throw in his capabilities in the pass game, you're looking at a player who will I think easily score over 275 pa- fantasy points, which 275 fantasy points would have been a top five running back last year, and. I think those are all very conservative numbers. When I stat guys out like this, I I generally try to be on the conservative side. I don't really try to get burned by projecting anyone to be superhuman. But Tony Pollard, I think, is as capable as anyone of having a full-on breakout year this year and being running back one. Wow. That is a hefty take. Um I like Tony Pollard. I don't want this to come off as me crapping on him and crapping on your hill, but he only had four games where he had 15 or more touches. And obviously that didn't necessarily matter because he was one of the more hyper-efficient running backs in the league last year, especially given the opportunities that he had and how many fantasy points he scored per opportunity. So I don't have any concerns with the floor of Tony Pollard because I think his floor is in the RB12 to RB8 range. I really think that he is one of the safer picks in the top 10. I think my concern with his ceiling comes, and maybe this is just me being speculative, but it comes from my concern of if they actually want to increase his workload and his snap count coming into this year, or if they want to keep him at that 15 touch ish range, the majority of games, Um, because if he doesn't get any more touches, it's really hard for him to be more efficient than he already is on the workload that he had the past season. So if they can get him closer to average, you know, being close to the 20 touches per game range, I am totally in on him being, a top five back uh, almost, I don't want to say guaranteed, but it seems likely if that, if that's how much work he's going to get. 
Um, that's the, the workload is the only question that I have in regards to Tony Pollard this year. Yeah. And honestly, I'm projecting this Cowboys offense as a whole to kind of take a step back. And so I, I do still love his floor. I think he could easily be a top 12 running back still, but I just, the way that we've seen Dak go and, you know, not be healthy the last couple of seasons, miss a couple games each year, uh, still definitely puts up good numbers when he plays, but just not as consistently uh, leading or being very high up in the league in interceptions, uh, not having played the entire season. I think this is a team that's going to begin going kind of back to their roots and being a defense heavy team. I don't think, I think they're going to kind of be in that same boat like we talked about with the Panthers where they're going to be winning games, you know, only scoring two, three touchdowns at a time. I don't think this is going to be the hyper offense. They lost their OC. So we're going to kind of see what that Mike McCarthy offense is going to look like without Kellen Winslow or Kellen Moore anymore. Now that he's, yeah, I know. Those are two uh, very different over, people. <laughs> yes. Now that he's uh, over with the chargers. So, I mean, I, I think that we see a, a very different Cowboys team. And I think that Tony Pollard will still be very efficient with his touches. I think that he's a great running back, but I don't think that his ceiling is as high as you're projecting, even conservatively. I just I don't feel like this team is going to be as efficient with the ball in their hands. So I'm curious, where, where are the rush attempts going? Because if you take out last year's rush attempts for the Cowboys, because it was historically high for them. They generally rush the ball somewhere in like the 450 range. Last year they rushed it like 530 times or something like that. So they're usually in like like the 450 to 460 range with rush attempts. 231 of those are gone. If you do the trickle down effect like you mentioned with um Calvin Ridley, that puts Tony Pollard in that 230-ish range. And so there's still 200 plus rushing attempts that need to go somewhere. Malik Davis, obviously is going to be their running back too. I don't think they're giving him more than 150 at most. Like I don't trust. And then like they, I mean, is Deuce Vaughn getting that much run? I, I think you've got to project Tony Pollard to get at least 250 of those 450 and then let the other 200 kind of shake out between the rest of them. And that's kind of what I'm doing. And and I'm bringing his efficiency down. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry last year. If you give him 4.8 at... He's still going to be productive at that number. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you give him if you give him 245 carries at 4.8 yards, you're still looking at a 1,200-yard rusher. And, and again, I think those are very conservative numbers. I think you're likely seeing someone who's going to get 260 carries and still going to be pretty efficient you know 4.95 yards per carry so i still think again i think you're seeing a 1300 yard rusher and a guy who's going to be in that he had nine touchdowns last year and that was with zeke taking 12 i think he's going to get in the end zone double digit times and that's where that's where you and i differ i don't think he's going to find the end zone near as much this year that that's definitely in the range of outcomes but i think part of my hesitation comes like I said, I think it's a bit of speculation. Uh, I think the 
I will say the Zeke signing to the Patriots maybe subsides this thought a little bit more, but part of me thinks that they might add another body before the beginning of the season. The only body available at this point is Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Well, the other guy, I mean, there is a couple of other bodies. I mean, there's Leonard Fournette still. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know. We forget about some of these guys. But even somebody, I, I don't want to just throw gross names out there, but I mean, even last season, we saw guys like Latavius Murray come in and sign midseason with teams and take a not majority, but a, a noticeable amount of carries from teams. Uh, and I'm not saying that I am projecting some kind of prediction for that for the Cowboys, but I think that's where I wonder if they want to take the approach that a lot of teams are taking now where they're trying to keep their primary playmaker at running back more at a 50% usage rate as opposed to a 60% up usage rate. Uh, I mean, we're seeing a lot of teams build their roster like that. I mean, clearly the Jets are doing it with Brees Hall uh, by signing Dalvin Cook this year. I mean, B even B. Sean Robinson, they're probably going to utilize uh, Tyler Algier and uh, Cordell Patterson in that manner to try and keep him fresh. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cowboys do that with Tony Pollard as well, given the fact that he is coming off an injury and maybe they want to be a little bit cautious with him going into this year. Uh, but I, I, I'm not going to be surprised if he does finish as the overall RB one, simply because there is a huge opportunity for him to assume all the carries that were vacated by Zeke. So I, I don't want to crap on that as a possibility. Um, it is just a very bold hill to be on. No, and I, yes. I mean, obviously, I've got him projected as my running back five right now, four in full PPR. And I just think that, like, there's an opportunity because Christian McCaffrey is injury prone. And obviously, I'm not going to assume injury, but like, Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler are the, are the top two guys, and they have been for the last few years. I think he can definitely beat out, you know, I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to have as good of a year as he did last year. Uh, I think he can easily beat out Derrick Henry, just considering, you know, he's going to have all this passing work. Um, I mean, Nick Chubb also doesn't get that much passing work. I think he's going to beat him just due to on the passing game. And then the only other guy really I'm nervous about him having to beat Saquon. And I mean, I, I do like Tony Pollard more than Saquon this year. So I'm looking at a guy who I think probably – only has to beat i mean if i'm looking at odds of to finish first overall in, in fantasy scoring this year i'm looking at christian mccaffrey i have my highest odds on eckler has my second highest odds and while i don't necessarily think tony pollard is should be drafted ahead of derrick henry i think he has better odds of finishing number one simply because the potential workload that he's going to get and that's that i think it's it's i'm i feel very safe and i feel like there's a huge upside right and i think you may have convinced me a little bit i think my speculation on them adding another body is maybe holding me back a bit too much yeah um, and, and if if leonard fournette signs there that would definitely make me pump the brakes some but i would still be drafting tony pollard a good bit because i wouldn't be scared of that and if that brings my 
rankings down to like running back eight. That's just where he's being drafted. Right. Right. Which is still a perfectly fine pick at that right. point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think it's interesting for sure. So uh, there we go. We're uh, we've wrapped it all up. Good job, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to be back next week with Billy and uh, get ready. We're going to talk some more football next week. I'm sure uh, I want to do another mock draft soon. Uh, I mean, draft season comes up We're the three of us are in a draft together and Billy and Parker. Yeah. We're all in a draft together uh, on yeah. Sunday. And so yeah. I think it'd be fun. We'll, we might talk a little bit about that, but I think it'd be fun to do another mock draft and get some of the other um, box score guys on there. Yeah. get some of the more box, more of a box score guys on and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the most fun times of the year when, you know, baseball's getting towards the end, you've got fantasy football drafts and the kickoff of the season and, and college football starting real soon too. Yeah. Yeah. This is the time of year when hopes are never higher. Yeah, absolutely. This is anything is possible right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do have one thing I want to just, you know, please do. I want to mention this because I heard you guys say it on your last podcast and I, I thought you guys glanced over it a little bit too easily. I don't think Mike Evans is a lock to make the hall of fame. Like you guys think he is. I think mm-hmm. he is. I mean, obviously, I if, he, he, if he if he retired this year, I don't think he is. Yeah. On the current trajectory he's playing in, I think he glides in. Interesting. Okay. I think that we, this might be a discussion for another time. I just wanted to part with a closing thought uh, because I thought that was okay. a intriguing argument. Uh, I actually had that argument with a buddy of mine. He asked me, is Mike Evans a Hall of Famer? And I really went through and looked at it. And it's funny that you guys said that because – I was very much on the opposite side of you guys uh, on that take. But Twitter aside poll. from Let's that, yeah, aside from that, uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Um, I am sad that Parker wasn't able to be here, but uh, you guys can feel free to check our podcast out, Two Peas on a Pod. Um, feel free to listen at the beginning of the show uh, for the usernames for instagram and twitter uh links are in the bio to listen and thank you guys again uh be sure to stay with these guys they're some of the best thanks for coming on absolutely uh so yeah everyone have a good rest of your week we will talk to you next time